0: Go ahead and pray over the Word. Y'all agree with me about this tonight? Let's believe God. The Word of the Lord is so important. So, Lord, we thank you for your Word tonight. And, and Brother Zach, are we good? All recordings? Okay. We thank you, Lord, for awesome time in your Word. I ask you to come speak through me tonight your words of life and, and blessing. And let everything go forth out of my mouth as living seeds of truth, as light shining forth. And go forth and accomplish everything you sent it forth to do under a mighty anointing. And let the, the glory of the Lord just settle here and just lock us in to give you our best year and our full attention. Lord, we thank you for it. We believe it now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. And one of the things I kept stating the last couple days, Psalm 133, I'm going to be dealing with the unity. Unity and purpose. It says, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brothers to dwell together in unity. It is like the precious oil upon the head coming down the beard, even Aaron's beard coming down to the edge of his robes. It is like the dew of Herman coming down upon mountains of Zion. For there the Lord commanded the blessing, life forevermore. So that is what we're after, the blessing. Amen. We want the Lord to command his blessing over us. I don't know about you, but I do. I thought that would get a little bigger amen right there but anyway so the lord is seeking unity and one of the things i'll say about unity just based on some things that that we've already talked about without getting into that but it's important to seek unity but not at all costs are you hearing what i'm saying you want to unify but you don't want to have to compromise to unify if it means that that you have to allow some things in that are not of god you have to allow some weird spirit some weird stuff that's not of God, so that you can be in unity. You you don't need to unify with that. Okay, so understand where I'm coming from with this because I think that there's a a spirit in the earth today that in America. Now I hope y'all really hear me tonight about this. I feel I really feel this tonight. But there's a spirit in the earth that is it, in America. It's 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 called political correctness, and it's where you don't want to offend anybody. But when you read the scriptures, I mean, this isn't really the take that they would have had. And so this political correct spirit is trying to bring together some some weird form of of Antichrist. One day, believe me, it really will be um, the Antichrist, okay, him as a person, is trying to bring together some kind of world peace and unity thing. But it's not of God. It's a counterfeit and so this counterfeit unity thing that's going on is actually satanic and it's trying to bleed its way into the church y'all please hear me because i really feel that that we're going to have to be aware of some of these things in the days to come so it's trying to bleed its way into the church where there's this thing of i don't want to be some people don't want to be a strong lit decisive leader put their house in order deal with things that aren't right is they don't want to offend anybody and it's almost like i'm going to go along to get along with everybody but how many knows not everybody's right and not everything going on out there is right and we don't need to be putting our stamp of endorsement on everything and so there's got to be an element there where we do have a heart of unifying with god's people but not at all cost and that's where i draw the line i will not Um, compromise for the sake of getting along with somebody else i won't do it some people may say well you know you need to unify with these people over here i love them but that doesn't mean i'm going to do things with them i just won't if it's not right if they're if they're promoting things that are sinful and demonic and weird and stuff i'm not connecting with them okay so there's there's some wonderful stuff going on in the body of christ wonderful stuff i love the revival crowd i'm i'm that's my dna but you guys know as well as I do that not everything going on out there is of the Lord. So we want to unify, but we also don't want to unify with everything, and we don't want to try to have unity at all costs that where we're compromising, okay? All right, so that's where I'm coming from tonight is that, and then interestingly enough, I'm going to finish this thing with the uh, teaching Jesus did on I've come to bring a sword. So we're going to begin this with unity and end this with division, <laughs> this is going to be an interesting sermon just pray for me it'll work out all right in leviticus five now this was some of the teaching actually that dick rubin brought to the body of christ in brownsville before revival and he laid john co said he laid some groundwork for the coming revival and so i'm going to kind of um use some of his stuff right here and i'm going to embellish a little bit but it's called the trespass offering this is really interesting study so there were five major offerings i'm gonna go quick in the old testament they had to bring things into the temple area to be sacrificed for their sin now let me give you the five major offerings and how they apply to us today the first offering is called the offering the burnt offering they would bring something to god and they would give it to the priest and the priest would cut it up and do all that they do and they would burn put it on the altar be burned before the lord a sweet incense unto him, a fragrant offering unto him. And that was called a burnt offering. And where we apply the burnt offering in our lives as Christians today in the spiritual sense is that we lay our lives on the altar and say, Lord, I want to be a holy living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto you. And let your fire burn through me and burn out anything that's impure. I want my life to be a burnt offering for you a living sacrifice holy and acceptable in your sight so that's the burnt offering the second offering was called a uh, meal offering or a grain offering and that has to do with the works of your hands because you would use your hands to pluck grain and you would work and work so what that has to do is this now as a Christian that we say Lord we love you so much that we want to give our time and our service to serve your kingdom and do things for you we want to work for you we want to be about winning souls and and doing things in God's house and serving the kingdom that's that's how we use that offering so to speak to worship God then there was called the peace offering or it's also called the fellowship offering what that offering was they would bring that there and what that is is Lord, we love you so much that we want to be prayer warriors. We want to fellowship with you, and we want to spend time with you. That is the fellowship offering or the peace offering that you you spend time with him and pray. All right. Then you get the two offerings that were mandatory. The first one's called the sin offering. Now, that sin offering was done by the priest. I want you all to get this because this is interesting here. The priest actually took that and killed the animal, and it was the priest's job to take care of the sin offering for the people. Now, for us today as Christians, we know Jesus was the sin offering. Once and for all, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. He was the priest. It was his job to do this on our behalf, and we just simply receive it. Does that make sense? Because here's the difference between the sin offering and the guilt offering. The guilt offering, the person who was guilty of something would actually come and bring the sacrifice and it was their job to do their part to bring that sacrifice and make sure that that was taken care of. So the sin offering, it was the priest's job to take care of it for the people. But now when it was a guilt offering, it was the person's job to recognize that they needed to deal with their stuff and they would bring the offering before the Lord and they would deal with it so here's here's where I'm coming from with this as Christians we know that Jesus paid for our sin and so we know that as long as we're walking with the Lord like we need to be and if you sin and you confess your sin and he's faithful and just to forgive us and wash us and And those that are true Christians have a heart to not live in sin. Amen. So we're trying to live for the Lord and do our best. And along the way, you may stumble and you ask God's forgiveness. He forgives you. And and that's the sin offering. But the guilt offering is different. The guilt offering are things that will cut you off from God until you deal with it. And the guilt offering are things that people a lot of times let go in their life. And they don't realize that they're doing it. I'm going to give you several examples. Let me read this to you, and then I'll give you the examples of what I'm talking about. Leviticus 5.1, the book of Leviticus, the easiest read in the whole Bible, amen? (laughs) Some people did not get that. Leviticus is, is probably the most challenging book to read in the Bible, okay? But anyway, just bear with me. Now, if a person sins after he hears a public adjuration to testify when he is a witness, whether he is, Seen or otherwise known, if he does not tell it, then he bears his guilt. In other words, if he witnessed a crime, and he could testify on behalf to get the matter cleared up, and they asked him about it, and he refused to talk about it, he was not going to get involved. The Bible says that that was a serious sin. I'm gonna just keep going with me here. Um, if a person touches any unclean thing, whether a carcass of an unclean beast or the carcass of an unclean cattle or a carcass or a carcass of the unclean swarming things though it is hidden from him he is unclean then he will be guilty so touching the unclean and we see that same pattern in second corinthians chapter 6 i believe where paul said god said in his word this is new testament come out from among them touch not the unclean thing and i will receive you and I will be a father to you, and you will be my children. All right, and then number three, verse three, if he touches human uncleanness of whatever sort his uncleanness may be with, which he is, becomes unclean, even though it's hidden from him, and he does not know of it, he will be guilty. So in the scripture, you see a pattern that even though somebody may not realize it, they can still be guilty. You see where I'm coming from? That's why it's important to learn the word for yourself. verse 4 if a person swears thoughtlessly or makes a rash vow with his lips to do evil or good and whatever matter a man may speak thoughtlessly with an oath and it is hidden from him and he comes to know of it he will be guilty in one of these so it shall be when he shall also bring his guilt offering to the Lord for his sin which he has committed a female from the flock a lamb or a goat as a sin offering, so the priest shall make atonement on his behalf for his sin. Then the Lord spoke to Moses said, If a person acts unfaithfully and sins unintentionally against the Lord and the holy things, then he shall bring his guilt offering to the Lord, a ram without defect from the flock, according to your value valuation silver by shekels in terms of the shekel of the sanctuary for his guilt offering he shall make restitution see what i'm saying so the priest was dealing with the sin offering but here with the guilt it says the the person that's guilty will make restitution for what he has done when he sinned against the lord and the holy thing and shall add to it a fifth part to it and give it to the priest and the priest shall then make atonement for him with the ram of the guilt offering and it will be forgiven him verse 17 now if a person sins and does any of these things with the, which the lord commanded not to be done though he is unaware still he is guilty and shall bear his punishment he is then to bring to the priest a ram without defect from the flock according to the shekel is a guilt offering etc etc I think you get the point so here's some things that uh, Dick Rubin brought this to Brownsville it really stuck with me and I've been wanting to to share this with you guys because I believe it will really take you deeper in the Lord okay So there are things that even though we're saved and we're Christians, if we allow these things in our lives, it can actually cut us off and hinder our walk. And I know you guys, like me, don't want any hindrances. So the first thing that can cut you off and can really hinder you in your walk is unforgiveness. And I know you guys know this, but it's interesting that in one translation, it actually says, forgive others of their trespasses, And I'll forgive you of your trespass. And he used the word trespass. And this guilt offering is also translated a trespass offering. So isn't that interesting? So, unforgiveness, even though you may be a Christian, you accepted the Lord, you've been saved for a long time. If you decide, I refuse to forgive this person that's burned me, I'm not going to let it go, I'm going to hold unforgiveness toward them, I promise you the heavens will become brass. Your prayers will feel like they're hitting the ceiling. And Jesus said that there's some kind of a spiritual prison and tormentors involved in this, okay? And it will hinder you from the things of God big time. All right. And there's actually a a book Mary Baxter wrote called A Divine Revelation of Hell. She saw hell. And one of the creepiest books, man, I've ever read. But she said it was a good book, but it'll stay with you, let me tell you. But she said that there was people there that refused to forgive, you know? They just would not forgive. And it's, it brought them all the way to that horrible place. All right, number two, having knowledge and not speaking up. How many church splits could have been prevented if somebody would have said, I don't care if y'all get mad at me. I'm going to the pastor. This is not right. Amen. I don't care, you guys may, you know, spread stuff about me and you may turn on me like a pack of wolves. But what you're doing is not right. I'm not going to associate with it, and I'm going to go to the pastor. A lot of the stuff the devil's tried to do would have been killed right there. Because it would have been exposed. But a lot of times people have knowledge of things and they won't speak up. And therefore the devil's able to really, over time, make it into something very serious. Okay? Number three. Touching old dead bodies. You know what this is speaking of? When God has brought you out of things. Some of you like myself have come out of all kinds of different sins. God has maybe brought you out of sexual sin. He's brought you out of the occult. He's brought you out of drug abuse. He brought you out of alcohol bondage. Tobacco bondage. All kinds of stuff. And then whenever Jesus forgives people. He sets people free they come in and then at some point in time down the road, they give in to the old stuff and they go back to it and they touch the old dead body of the past and they go back. I had a guy tell me one time, he said, man, when I got saved, he said that he had something that, with tobacco, I think it was chewing or something. He said, the Lord just delivered me from it. But then he said, I, like a dummy, I went back and I got back into this and he said, man, He said, that grace that God gave me when I first got saved, that it was just taken away, he said, I had to fight the next time to get free. And that's, the Lord's serious about this stuff. When people go back to old dead bodies, okay, these things can can really bring a hindrance and brass the heavens over. All right. The next one is touching things that defile us, which y'all remember that sermon I did on defilement. All right. The fifth one is rash vows. Man, this is a serious one. How many of you guys have ever said to the Lord, Lord, if you do this for me, I promise I will do this for you. And then God did it for you. And then next thing you know, you're not fulfilling your end of the bargain, okay? That's actually a sin. See, people don't realize that to make a vow to God, a promise to God, and then not keep it is actually a sin. And these things sometimes people will wonder why is there like a stubborn sickness or a a stubborn issue in my life that I haven't been able to get on the other side of it? What is this thing? What is the problem? Why has this thing been so stubborn? Why well, won't this situation budge? What is the deal? Sometimes if you go back to the trespass, the guilt offering and you start examining some of these things, you might find that there was something there, though you were unaware of it, was still there and was a hindrance. Maybe you made rash vows. And not just to the Lord, but, I mean, if we make a promise to somebody, we sincerely promise somebody we're going to do something, we really need to follow through with that. And if we don't, that is not right. That's lying. And it's a sin, isn't it? How many parents have told their kid, I promise I'll do this, you know, and then something comes up kids don't forget that stuff and and not only that but how many people have promised their spouse i promise i give you my word i will do this and then they don't do it you know so it's important that we keep our word about these things and this can really be a hindrance so in the scriptures there's a scripture in ecclesiastes which says that god takes no pleasure in fools he says keep your vow." So God views people making rash vows as a fool. Why? Because you don't have to do it. Jesus said, just let your yes be yes and your no, no. Why go around all the time making vows? If you ever do make a vow, which I discourage that, but if you do, you better fulfill it. All right. And then human uncleanness. They've mentioned that. Touching human uncleanness. In 2 Corinthians 6, we talked about earlier about touching the unclean. But listen, that has to do with being defiled by the flesh. Did you know that there's people that by giving in to their sinful nature, they are actually defiling themselves? People that are giving in to their sinful nature are defiling themselves. Are y'all getting this? I feel like I'm actually breaking through some stuff that needs to be broken through. Okay. So your flesh as you give into the sinful nature, that's why Paul said to walk in the spirit and not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And he said in Galatians 5:19 that those that live according to the flesh will actually not inherit the kingdom of God. So we know that there's got to be a dying to the flesh and not giving into the flesh. So, how do people give in to the flesh? Well, for one, let's say that they really felt the Lord told them to fast a day. Halfway through the day, they pick out. You know, they gave in to the flesh. That's why Jesus, when Satan came to Jesus and said, Why don't you turn the stone to bread? People got to understand it wasn't a sin for Jesus to turn a stone to bread. And it, it wasn't a sin for Jesus necessarily to eat bread, but it would have been a sin for him to break his fast because that was what he was supposed to be doing. See what I'm saying? And that's what Satan was trying to do, was trying to tempt him to give in to the lust of the flesh. And if Jesus, being hungry, would have gave in to his flesh, he would have sinned against God. How did Eve sin? She gave in to the flesh, basically. She said, look, this this fruit here looks good. It looks good for food. I'm sure, you guys tell me what you think. I'm sure the devil waited till she was hungry you think the devil came and tempted her with food right after she just ate? Okay, so the devil comes to her and and is tempting her with this food, probably because it was around the time she would eat every day anyway. She's probably hungry. And not only that, it looks good for food, and it was pleasing to the eye, and she gave in to that fleshly desire. And so today, listen, as revival is going to be breaking forth, we have got to learn how to die to our flesh is one of the things that Satan tries to bring during times of great visitation, great move of the Holy Spirit, he'll try to bring great deception, he'll try to bring a lot of things, but one of the things he'll try to bring is um, sexual sin, like adultery, and giving into the flesh. And you better keep your flesh under control. Die to that flesh, walk in the spirit, and don't allow yourself to fall into the sinful nature of the flesh. That comes in prayer. That's why David fell with Bathsheba. He should have been out going to war and he should have been doing stuff for the Lord, been busy about the Lord's work. But instead, what was he doing? He was taking it easy, relaxing at home, looking at pornography. Watching Bathsheba bathe was the same thing as looking at pornography today, isn't it? And so then it led him into an adulterous affair. The adultery led into murder. The next one is this: defiling our temple. It talked about in there defiling the holy things. You can defile your temple, your physical temple, your body, but also people defile God's house in many ways. Did you know when people are bucking up against authority in church and they're rebellious and they have a bad attitude toward the pastor and toward leaders and all that? Did you know that they are defiling God's temple? The book of Hebrews says to obey those that rule over you. is the ones that will give an account. Amen? But they're defiling God's house. And when, they, when people go about gossiping about their brother, sister, and Christ, they'll be in the house of God. Sometimes even calling it a prayer meeting. But they're gossiping about their brothers and sisters running them down. And they're defiling God's house. We need to guard God's house and make sure that it's not defiled. I remember one pastor telling before he saw a great move of God in his life. He was saying that he had, he had to deal with some difficult things, but he guarded the sanctuary as God's house. And there was a a young woman, and some of you, especially in today's society, may you know there's so much liberal stuff. But there was a young woman that was going in there, and I mean she was dressed very inappropriate. And the pastor said, "You're not going in God's house like that." Well, she got really mad. Her dad got mad, and all that. But you know what? Even though they got mad or whatever and they went, they, they saw a great move of God down the road. You know why? Because that pastor said, I'm not going to put up with people defiling God's holy house like that. It's not right. And somebody needs to speak up about it. Lust. That's why we use these prayer cloths to cover people when they fall sometimes. things Because we don't want any lust. But looking with lust can defile God's house. You know, somebody's sitting over here in a corner and they're literally lusting after somebody else in God's house. So what I'm trying to get across to you is this. Let's not have anything in our lives that is defiling our physical temple because we're the house of God, but also it's not defiling God's house. And without getting into it and saying too much, that, that was one of the things that I was concerned about here recently with things I've already talked about, but we don't defile God's house. God's house can be defiled with doctrines of demons, letting people come in that should not be ministering, and seducing spirits. It brings a defilement into God's house. All right, and then number 10, hidden sins. This is an interesting one, but things not realized. It's interesting that God said that in the trespass offering. He kept mentioning in there, though people are not aware of it, they're still guilty. And you would probably be surprised in all of our lives and across the body of Christ how many people probably have some of these things and they've never had anybody preach to them about it and they don't realize it's there, but it's a hindrance in their life. And they wonder, why am I not getting a breakthrough with certain areas? But if you've made rash vows, if you've uh, defiled God's house, if you've got unforgiveness in these things, it literally can cause a hindrance spiritually. And so the Lord is wanting us to purge and cleanse our way. And so the promise of God is this, that if we will confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So tonight, listen, one of the things about unforgiveness, I believe that most people have probably forgiven for the most part. But let me tell you, we talked about smooth stones, you know, that there's these stones in a riverbed that bump up against each other and knock the rough edges off each other, and they become smooth stones because they're bumping up against each other. In God's house, there is going to be this bumping up against each other. Ow, you're knocking my rough edge off. Back off, buddy. Get, you know why you keep going there? But it's, it's the Lord is putting us all together, and there's these rough edges that are getting knocked off of all of us. You know, I mean, I don't know how many times Ed has knocked a rough edge off me. You know, I've had to be so patient. with him. <laughs> Anyway, so there's this knocking the rough edges off. But also, let me give you this example. The Bible says to be crucified with Christ. All right? We want to die to ourselves. Galatians 2.20. I'm crucified with Christ. It's not I who live. Paul talked about dying daily. So we want to die daily. All right, so as we lay our lives down on the cross, you can take a hammer and you can drive a nail into your feet, metaphorically speaking, and you can even drive into one of your hands, but how are you going to get the other hand nailed to the cross? You're going to have to have somebody else help you with that. That's where Jesus had to have a Judas. And Jesus allows people in our lives to be like a judas and what that does is if we will handle these things right and we'll walk in forgiveness and we'll we'll let it go and we'll let the lord do in us what needs to be done in us that judas that god allows in your life that betrayal that hurt those things an actual fact will nail that other hand down for you and there'll be a completion of what god is trying to do in all of us but everybody that's going to be like jesus and do what god's called him to do they're going to have to go through the testings and trials that come with it because the testings and trials is what brings humility it's what brings the brokenness it's what helps us to really truly die to ourselves for real and prepare us for our destiny just like a key people say what's the key to my destiny in actual fact you are the key to your destiny so the Lord, if you guys have ever gone and had to get a key made, most of you have had to do that. It's, you, know, you look at it and it's just straight across. But they have to get that machine and it's got to cut specific grooves. So what God does is he allows people in your life that are going to knock off those rough edges. There's going to be some betrayals. There's going to be some hurts. There's going to be different things. But in actual fact, what's happening is God is cutting the grooves in your life and when he's finally finished preparing what needs to be prepared where well, you're ready for your destiny and everybody thinks they're ready before they are. okay. But once he says you're ready and you're really cut the way it needs to be cut, prepared, then you're ready to fit that key into the keyhole of your destiny and your destiny will open up. But there has to be the process. If there's not the process, there's going to be problems. Let me give you a good biblical example. First, you look at the people that God used in it phenomenal way and you saw great trials okay like joseph david look how long god made abraham wait why did god make abraham wait that long you know but he made him wait such a long time why because it was really going to glorify him in the end but let me let's talk about david versus saul king saul was really not that bad of a guy at the beginning he really if you read the story he was humble in his own eyes. He didn't seek exaltation. When they went to make him king, he went and hid. What, in the luggage or something, where everybody's stuff was? He went and hid. They had to go find the guy. He he didn't seek promotion, he, you know, but he was what man would have picked. Man will always pick a Saul, but God will always pick a David. Just, that's a principle. But anyway, he, he was... a. Uh, a head taller he was handsome he looked like a king he was everything that Israel wanted in a king it was not God's will for them to really have a king but they wanted it and so God said you know what I'll give you what you want I'll give you what you deserve and he gave him Saul now listen Saul did not have to go through anything he was just promoted one day that's a lot of people out there and because of that Saul did not have the cuts and the grooves in his life where the Lord chastised him and the Lord prepared him. The Lord put him through wilderness times. Like Abraham, he had to wait and have faith. Like David, he had to go through difficulties. Like Joseph, he had to go through the pit and the prison. Saul didn't go through all that. He was just promoted overnight. So the problem was that Saul ended up falling really bad later in life i mean he got rebellious he he went to a witch for counsel he had a tormenting spirit he he was unfaithful to the lord but look at david even though david was much younger i'm sure and he looked to saul like a father figure david being a young man he had a heart after god and god saw that And that's why when Samuel prophesied, Samuel said this right at the very beginning. He said, there is somebody that has a heart after God, and God's going to raise him up in your place. And God saw David's heart. And so God saw something in David that he could use him, and he could make him be a great king one day. But he knew that even though David had a heart for God, that he was going to have to put him through his cave wanderings, which a lot of theologians believe could have been up to about 16 years and david had to run from saul who was a madman now gone pretty much crazy chasing with the spear trying to kill him had armies pursuing him he's having to live in caves and he he basically becomes like a pastor so to speak of all these um rejects of society people that didn't fit into society very well they all rallied around david but the anointing that was on david Began to somehow affect them because even though they were rejects of society People nobody else would have picked they became David's mighty men they became giant killers And David went through some difficult times I mean if you look at the life of David He was pursued by Saul and he felt that he could not function within his own people with with Israel So he goes, and he lives among the Philistines. This is Israel's greatest enemy. The Philistines like David, and so they give him an area to live. And all of his rejects of society people are rallying there. And David figures, well, Israel won't let me fight in their military. So he is joining now Philistines' army, and he's fighting with the Philistines and he figures well the philistines this is in the bible if you haven't read it go read he i imagine he figures well the philistines are fighting israel's enemies also so i'll just go with them and fight israel's enemies with them you know israel won't have me and so he ends up fighting with the philistines he fears for his life so he has to pretend to be crazy so he's, drawing, he's like drooling out of his mouth, drools run down his beard, he's scratching on a gatepost, acting like he's crazy so that they wouldn't kill him. The Philistines eventually turn on him and say, we can't trust this guy because he's an Israelite. An army comes in and steals out of Ziklag, steals his whole family. He's got to trust God for that. It's a long, difficult path for David. But David was faithful through it, and he would not raise up his hand against God's anointed. And the Lord prepared him and cut his life like a key. And when it was time, David was able to enter into his destiny and be raised up as king. And, of course, we know that in spite of the fact he did sin in, later in life, nonetheless, he was Israel's greatest king. And to this day, God loved David and promised him that he would always have somebody on the throne. And Jesus is one of Jesus' names is the son of David so we know that god deeply loved david but david went through the process so what i'm saying is this let god begin to do a process in all of us that we're willing to really go deep now let me close this out with this whenever we start cleansing our lives and purifying and purging and really going after god and letting god do a deep work in us just like we've been reading about Brother zach's been teaching about these great revivals of times past, people that really went after God with all their heart, that they were letting the Lord do a deep work in them, and God really kind of cut the key of their life so that they could be used in a mighty way for him. As we're doing that and we're cleansing our way, it is going to be prayer and intercession, that bursts revival, and I've probably said that in every sermon, but let me give you a couple things very quickly about prayer. Number one, you've got to have a focus. I don't know if all this is in your notes okay but just write write it down if it's not but you've got to have a focus that's why I put these intercessors in in an area and I pray Lord and they're they're focused on that specific assignment but if you're going to really give birth to revival you've got to have a focus you can't just be all over the place you've got to zero in and focus number two Effective prayer has got to be in accordance with the Word of God. It's got to line up with the Word. You know, as we read about the end times, Jesus said about Israel that they are going to take flight one day. When the Antichrist pursues them, that's what it's talking about, but they're going to take flight. And he said, pray that your flight will not be in the winter and it won't be on the Sabbath. Remember, and he talked about how difficult it would be for women that were pregnant, nursing babes. It would be Foolish for us to sit around and pray that Israel would not take flight Because it's in the Word of God and Jesus already said they're going to So make sure that your prayers are lining up with God's Word If you're praying things that are deliberately not lining up with the Word of God They're not going to be answered Or the next one is our prayers must have the right motives Why are we praying what we're praying? If we're praying it because we want to see soul saved and we want to see jesus glorified and we really have a pure heart god sees that pure heart our intercession in the spirit you know your flesh and your human intellect will only go so far that's why it's so important that god have intercessors in churches that can get in the spirit and, and they're weeping and wailing and praying in the spirit in that travail because that is spirit to spirit, deep calling unto deep. It's the heart of God. And God is using them to really get beyond the human intellect of what we understand and pray about things that's beyond our comprehension. Well, your human intellect will only understand so much. That's why Paul said, I pray in the spirit more than you all. All right. And you must have persevering prayers. Don't give up. Pray it through. Some people, they get discouraged along the way because they don't see it quick. My wife and I talked about this. There's things that we've prayed about sometimes for a long period of time. It's happening in layers. It's happening and it will be completed one day, but if if you give up along the way and say, well, I guess God's just not going to do it and you give up then it really could hinder it from happening. But if you'll pray it all the way through. Some prayers, you can just pray about it and believe God and it'll be done. Other prayer, that's asking. Asking's the easy part. But when you get into seeking and you get into knocking, you're dealing with persevering prayers. You're dealing where you're having to seek God and you're having to keep knocking and keep pressing in until you see that thing fully birthed there's a difference and those of you that have been saved very long you know what i'm talking about some things you can just ask and it's done other things you've really got to seek god and keep pressing in until it's done and see revival is not something that you can just one day just go oh lord you know wouldn't it be good if we saw revival in the city would you do that thank you lord i believe and then you walk out and this great massive move of god just falls and everybody's saved It doesn't happen like that. It is, these are those type of things that you've really got to press into God and as you're pressing into Him, He's also going to be dealing with our stuff so that we can be used of Him in a mighty way and we can be a holy vessel before Him. And the last thing is pray in faith with expectations. I promise you that God always hears our prayers. I give you my word, He always hears our prayers. Even the ones that we probably shouldn't have prayed. He heard them when sometimes his answer is just flat out no other times he says wait but he still heard the prayer you understand the lord is really listening to our prayer so we've got to believe when we pray according to the will of god that he is doing it we have right motives we're praying the will of god it's in accordance with the word of god for example we're praying for people to be saved We know, the Bible says, it's not God's will that anybody perish. We're praying the word of God, the will of God, and we're really seeking God and pressing in and going after him. Don't give up because the harvest will come in. Why? Because we know that it is the will of God that that harvest come in. We know that the Bible says it is, and we know that if we keep pressing in, we will see it. Don't give up have persevering prayers, and believe God that he is doing it. Remember how Jesus prayed? It said in one place that he lifted up his voice with a loud voice and was praying with tears and and crying out. There's, There's a pressing into God for more of him. And you know, let me close with this. One person can really try to hinder a move of God. Let me give you an example. This is why it's important, and you read through history, that almost every move of God started with a small group of people in unity. Please hear me about this one, because if you and I were on a hill, and we had a big Buick or some car that's big, and it broke down, and there's just a few of us, let's say there's five, six of us in this car, okay, and it's on an incline, we're trying to push it up a hill, it's a big car, and we've got a handful of people with us, and we put it in a neutral, and we start pushing it one person in that scenario can stand in front of that car and give everything they can to resistant it. it can hinder it but once you top the hill you get the car cranked and now it's going downhill if that same guy tries to get in front of the vehicle he's just going to be flattened and the revival is going to run right over him and keep going my point is that when you're, when you're trying to, and that's what God has been doing. I hope that you're seeing this because this is historically a fact. When, even with the Susa Street, it had to start with a small handful of people at Bonnie Bray Street really seeking God in prayer, in unity, and pressing in for revival. A small group. Almost every move of God has started with a small group of people that were in unity, pressing into God. And once... You get that car up and you press through the resistance and you start seeing the momentum of revival It's hard to get revival going but once it's really truly going Don't get in its way Because it becomes like a locomotive and it will just blast everything out of the way because God showed up and God's moving and nobody can stop God Okay There's a law of moral entropy That things tend to get worse this is a really interesting physics that listen. If if we were to just literally somehow just right now just push pause and all of us were just stuck here right now, just like this. Nothing changed. We just left this place. All of a sudden everybody around here disappears. There's nothing that's going to touch this room for a hundred years. Nobody's going to move. The room is not going to get better. You're going to come in a hundred years from now there's going to be cobwebs there's going to be skeletons here (laughs) okay everything is is not going to get better on its own it's going to get worse on its own and that's that's the law of moral entropy that the world right now under satan's dominion things if they're left alone will get worse that's why people have got to have a heart to see god show up and move amen does that make sense and here's the last thing I want to talk about: is revival will also bring division. Unity brings revival. It's important. it's why on the day of Pentecost they were in one heart, one mind. One mind. It was interesting that there was only 120 that were present, but Jesus appeared to 400 or 500. Which one? 500. 500 people. So think about it. There was only 120 present. Could it be that those were the ones that were really serious about this thing? You know, and they were really in unity. And they came together and it was just an explosion when they did. But when revival truly comes and God begins to move in great, great power, I've experienced revival. I've been in these things. and Let me tell you, it it will shake you down to the core of who you are. And it will go to the root of your whole being. It will change you. But there's a very violent reaction to revival, either good or bad. You're probably not going to be able to stay in the middle Either you're really gonna love the move of God with all your heart, or people will really hate it, but there's not gonna be too many people in the middle because it's really a sword that's coming down from heaven that's gonna divide, where the Lord is saying, you're either for me or against me. Choose this day who you're gonna serve. There's not gonna be any more holding hands with the world and me and the devil and me and all that. No, you're gonna, you're gonna decide who are you for today and who are you against. It's a sword. And some people will love the move of God and they'll go after God with all their heart. Other people, they'll begin to hate it because it's dealing with something in them that they don't want to change. And so in revival, um, pride may prevent some people and they'll criticize revival. Others will get jealous of what's going on and they'll criticize it. Some people will be softened. The same light, I've said many times, the same light that melts wax will harden clay. Some people will get more and more soft and broken before God and tender and pliable. Other people will get harder and harder and more and more hateful, more and more critical. Some people will justify themselves. Others will repent. Usually it's the religious crowd that gives you the most trouble, not so much the world. That, the world will be a problem too, but it'll really be the religious crowd. See, when the the Lord comes in that way, it's extreme conviction. It's extreme conviction. When Jonathan Edwards preached his famous sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, in a monotone voice, I believe with glasses on, like this, just reading it out of a piece of paper that he wrote down, but it was so anointed, it was a sovereign move of God that exploded forth that day, that people were gripped with the fear of God so much so that they clung to the pews in front of them thinking that they were literally going to fall into hell at that very moment his sermon had such an impact on people why because it was time of sovereign move of god god was coming into that region and here's the last thing i would say so you're dealing with extreme conviction god's going to say who do you serve the sword of the lord comes and begins to divide but yet it's interesting because it's unity that brings the move of god Here's what I want to close with this last point here. Don't focus on building your personal kingdom, but focus, let the Lord use you to build his kingdom. We don't need another denomination. We don't need another church. We need the Lord to come down and change lives, okay? So don't be about building your own little kingdom. Be about his kingdom. You know, it's, this is the honest truth before God, and he knows my heart. Whenever, let me just give you some things. I, I don't want to say too much along these lines, but I want you to hear me. My wife and I've talked about this in private, but the truth is I want to do the right things but I want to do the right things for the right reasons. So see it please I've studied this said I want to know Lord what what pleases you what because I look at a lot of a lot of different things there, there's thousands and thousands of ministries and churches and denominations and things all over the world okay but Lord, what really pleases you? what is it that really and I begin to study these things out and here's some things to make his house a house of prayer. To be about seeking and saving the lost. That people are really getting intimate with him. They're, they're, they're getting the junk out of their life and getting close to him. I'm telling you, that's a big deal with him. He's wanting us to minister in a way that doesn't help people stay in sin, because that's gonna bring a wedge between them and him. He wants us to minister in a way that they're, they're getting clean and getting close to him. Here's some other things. That we're about seeking and saving the lost. That we have a burden for souls. And also that we're about really like touching hearts, that ministry of, of, of reaching out to, to the lost and hurting and showing them God's love. Okay? So these things are important to the Lord and also hosting his presence. I'm going to tell you that's a big deal with God. The Lord says, I stand at the door and knock. Who's going to open the door for me? You know, I want to be a church that we don't have to even have the Lord knock. It's like before church even starts, we're like, Lord, please just already be here. Just show up at your house. Come in this place. And that's the way I felt today. You know, we took communion, and, and I just felt the Lord was already here. And that's the way I want it to be every time. I don't want it to be something where He feels that we're just going to go on with our agenda without Him. I mean, forget that. I hope that I would be somebody that if it was really sterile, bad i hope that i would be the pastor that would say guys i don't know what's wrong something's wrong but we're not going to go on with service tonight we're going to humble ourselves and pray and get things right so the lord's presence will come back i mean we're you know a lot of places it's so dead and sterile but nobody's asking why and nobody's asking what do we do to get his presence back what happened where did we miss it is there a sin is it just now become religious what's wrong why is there not a presence here And nobody's asking the questions and seeking to get that presence back. So what I'm saying is, let's do the right things for the right reasons. Okay? All right. Let me tell one more story. So there's this pastor, because some of y'all are going to pastor, that was saying, I'm telling you this for a reason, he was saying that he had come in to take a church and there were some elderly people that really helped build that church. But they were now in nursing homes, kind of forgotten. And it really grieved him that here he is coming into this church. And it really grieved him that these forgotten people in nursing homes were the ones that their tithe, their work, hammer and nails, their faithful service is what built the house that they were in. And he went down to the nursing home to every, each and every one of them held their hand and told them thank you. Let's be like that. You see what I'm saying? Be, uh, how many people would do that? Almost nobody. But why not be the one that would? Let me give you another story. Same pastor. But he was talking about how there was a time there was something that went down in another church somewhere in town. And All these people had left that church at one time. So there's probably something bad happened. And they all came to his church. And he was like, oh, man, that's, you know, I don't know what happened. But he told the board, he said, guys, I want you to make note of who those people are. And for the next six months, I want you to take 100% of their tithe that comes in here. And I want you to write a check and send it to that pastor that they left for the next six months. Because he said, when you lose that many people at one time, it's hard. And I, don't want, I want him to have six months to recover. Nobody else would do that, really. Let's just be honest. How many people would do that out there? Not very many. But why not let's be the ones that would? You see what I'm saying? And these things are done in secret. But, the, you know, you can talk about them later on in life, I guess. But it's it's stuff that you're not doing it to be noticed. You're just doing it because it's the right thing to do. All right, let's put on some music tonight. If God has dealt with you guys about something in the trespass, the guilt offering, if there's unforgiveness, if there's, if there's areas tonight, I want you to think about it. I want you to pray about this for a minute. Let's go ahead and find a place. Let's shut down recordings where we can really make sure. Listen, God is wanting to take us deep into his presence. But to go deep into the presence of God, we've got to let the Lord keep purging us more and more cleaning us and as he's doing it I can tell just as there's a deep purging we're going deeper into the Lord I don't know how many guys were here for that Hanukkah sermon that we did but that night when we got on our face before God and took communion independently and people prayed for a deep consecration of their temple something happened that night that's still going on to this day the deeper you go in the Lord the more purging and purifying changing he does in us to be more like jesus so if you've had unforgiveness if you've had knowledge of things in your life where you should have spoke up but you didn't if you've gone back to old dead sins of the past if you've made rash vows if you've been defiled by the flesh or the world if you've defiled god's holy temple Let's get on our face right now and just pray. I I do this, too. I get these things. I get on my face. Lord, if there's anything, show me. And he may show me something. Say, Lord, forgive me. Help me, Lord, to be different. I want to change. I want to be able to be like you, Jesus, and go deep into your presence and know you more intimately. That's what the goal is. You turn that up for me, brother. Let's find a place to pray, guys.